What was Jesus talking about? A camel and the eye of a needle. Did it actually have anything to do with a literal gate and a small door in that gate in the wall of Jerusalem? Stay with me for this episode as we talk about the needle, the camel, the gate, and the rich young ruler. Welcome to Rightly Dividing with Ron Anderson. Thanks for joining me on this episode. This is going to be a start of a new series, Bible Myths Busted, or misunderstandings about things that are in the Bible. Maybe that's a better way of putting it because I don't believe there are any myths actually in the Bible. However, there are things that are greatly misunderstood and oftentimes taken for absolute truth. And this is one of them. And so we're going to be talking about the eye of the needle and the camel and the rich young ruler. Now, the rich young ruler, obviously, in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke is a, a literal event that happened. But Jesus refers in this passage to a camel and the eye of the needle, and it is often related to, or it's taken to mean by many, that it referred to a small door in a large gate in the wall of Jerusalem. So we're going to talk about that, uh, maybe expose that myth a little bit, and then bring around what was Jesus actually talking about? What was the main focus of this passage? Now, I've heard, maybe you've heard, actual messages preached around just the camel and the eye of the needle. I've, I've heard multiple messages preached about that, and people referring to this gate, this supposed gate, small door in the large gate in the wall in the city of Jerusalem. So we want to take a look at that. Is there any evidence in scripture or uh, archaeological, historically, or in literature that can bear this out and say, oh yes, this, this he was absolutely referring to, or most assuredly referring to this, this small door and a large gate in the, the wall of the city of Jerusalem. I, I've actually heard people preach, teach on this, that when they come to this passage, uh, they say that, well, Jesus probably was actually pointing at the very gate and door gesturing that way, which is a gross exaggeration because there is nothing that leads us to believe that other than assuming something. And we have to be very careful about assuming things when it comes to scripture and events in the Bible. So what I want to do is I want to read the actual verse that we're going to be focusing on and then set the context that is around it. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke all refer to this event happening. Jesus and Matthew, just I'm going to stay in Matthew to keep from flipping back and forth between the Gospels. They're, they're almost, almost identical. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are almost identical word for word um, in this event of the rich young ruler. So that, that's important to keep in mind as well. So I'm just going to stay with Matthew and uh, be reading from Matthew chapter 19. So this is the key phrase verse that is misunderstood, that a whole myth has been built around. So kind of tip my hand there, I guess. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus did say that, but what did he mean by that? And what was he talking about? Um, a literal a literal needle, camel, or was he talking about a gate that was understood in that day with, with that terminology? We'll take a look at that. So Mark says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. 
That's in Mark 10. And in Luke uh, 18, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, was Jesus talking about, was he using as an illustration something that was commonly known in that day, an object, a small door, let's say a man door, and a large gate. And when the gate was closed and latched, people could go in and out of the smaller door. Okay, was he literally referring to that? And did people, when he said this phrase, was this what came to their mind automatically when he said, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle? Is this what came into their mind is this gate or this large gate with the small door? I don't think so. And here's some of the reasons why. First of all, in the, in the Greek text, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all refer to this almost identical except these different words for needle. Now, Matthew and Mark are almost the same word. It's just a slight change in the structure. So in a sense, it's the same root word with just a slight change to it. But they both use the word that would, was understood in that day as a sewing needle. Okay, Luke, the physician, he doesn't use that word. Now, all three of them would have witnessed, seen this going on, and then they record, we have their record of what transpired here. And so Luke, when he writes this down, he comes to the place of using a surgeon's needle. So he uses an entirely different word. So you have Matthew and Mark, slight change, but basically the same thing as sewing needle. And then Luke, he uses the word for a surgeon needle completely different. If this gate were commonly known by that terminology and phrase, most likely they would have used the same identical phrase because it would have been a title for that object and not just random choices of words or a different word. So that's the first thing that leads us to, hmm, I don't think he was actually referring to a literal gate with a small door. Okay. Second, this was a common phrase in the sense that other cultures used it, not, not just in Jewish culture or around Jerusalem or referring to that gate. There were other cultures throughout the course of history, ancient history, who had either an identical or the same type of phraseology. For instance, I'll give you one example. The Persians had a uh, hyperbole phrase like this or a hyperbolic phrase like this referring to an elephant, how difficult it is for an elephant to go through the eye of a needle. Okay, so it was a common phrase culturally through different, different cultures of that era. So uh, number three, there's no archaeological support for this whatsoever. Nothing has ever been found to support the idea or the concept that Jesus was referring to this small door and a large gate, okay? And then fourthly, which I'm going to be reading here in a moment as we walk through this passage briefly, fourthly, the way the disciples respond to Jesus in this event really leads us or leans heavily in the direction that they understood that he was talking about the eye of a needle and a camel, and the impossibility of that. 
if you think for a moment, if Jesus were literally using the, the, the or this meant the small door in a large gate, and, you know, and he gestured that way, as I've heard this taught and preached multiple times, then isn't there at least the possibility that gaining entrance in, which Jesus is using, this is an object lesson for getting into heaven, going into heaven, because that's what this rich young ruler asks him, and we'll see that in a minute, that there's a possibility that you can do it on your own. But if he's actually referring to a literal needle and a camel as an illustration uh, in, in hyperbole, obviously, there's no way that's possible unless it's miraculous, which is what salvation is. Otherwise, you could work hard enough and maybe get that camel through that door. Hard as it may be, and you'd have to unload all of its burden and get it down on its knees and shuffle it in, but it still seems that maybe that would be possible. I, don't, I think Jesus was using the, this illustration as pointing out the absolute impossibility for man to be saved by his own works. Which Now, let's go to the text for a moment. Let, let me read. Now, behold, there came uh, one came and said to him, I'm reading from Matthew uh, chapter 19, beginning in verse 16. So, now behold, one came to him and said, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he has a question about eternal life. And he's looking at gaining eternal life, locking down eternal life by doing good things, good works. Now, because of the brevity of these episodes that I typically do, I can't launch out into all the ramifications and importance of understanding what he's asking in relationship to works salvation. He was looking at works salvation. Okay, Uh, so... Let's, let's continue on with our, our focus point here. So he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. There's a, there's a whole statement there that Jesus is making also. But if you want to enter into eternal life, entering in, mm, here we go, okay? Eye of the needle, camel. If you want to enter into end of life, eternal life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, The rich young ruler said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He basically gives him the Ten Commandments. And the young man said to him, I've done all these things. Now, there's a problem right there also, because he probably hasn't kept them perfectly, uh, but there's a pride issue there, okay? Uh, The young man said to him, all these things I've kept from my youth, what do I still lack? So he's saying, I've done all these things, and whether he actually did or not, who knows. But he knows he's not there yet. He, he, He doesn't have that assurance. What must I yet do? So he's aware of his need. Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Do all of these things first. Okay, sell everything, get rid of everything, walk away from everything, put everything down and come just yourself. Not your works, not your efforts, not your goodness. You realize in that day, as it is in this day also in many cultures, if somebody is prosperous, wealthy, rich, wow, it's looked at as, man, God's, God's being good to them. It's looked at as favor or approval from God in some way. That's not necessarily the truth. Now, God may bless some people with earthly wealth and riches, but 
Jesus is pointing out the fact this man didn't have riches. Riches had him. Jesus is pointing out you can't serve two masters. If you're going to come into eternal life, if you're going to come and follow me, you have to leave all these other things behind. Reminds me of when Jesus was walking along the shore and he was calling the disciples to follow him and he said, what? Come follow me. And what does it say? They left their nets. That's their business, their livelihood, their occupation, the things they owned. They walked away. They left their nets and they followed him. Later on, Peter even said, didn't we, uh, they're, they're talking with Jesus and, and they're saying to him, didn't, didn't we leave everything? Didn't we walk away from everything? Um, so Jesus says to this rich young ruler, sell everything, get rid of everything, and then come and follow me. But, verse 22, the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And the great possessions, I'm adding this in, and the great possessions had him. And he was not willing to walk away from all of that, to lay it aside. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if you can imagine this young man walking away, now, certainly people would be thinking, well, he's kept all the law all of his life. He's obviously, man, God really loves him. Look how rich he is. He's young. He's wealthy. He's rich. He's got it all. But he knew in his own heart he didn't have it all. He knew he was still outside, and all of these things had not gained him eternal life. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Then Jesus said to the disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Not impossible, hard. And again, I say to you, here it is. This is the verse. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I said earlier the disciples' response. Point number four on uh, my four reasons why I don't believe Jesus was referring to a gate a small door in a large gate in the city of, in the wall of the city of Jerusalem. I don't think that's what he's referring to. I think he was using a hyperbolic expression of these objects, a camel and a needle, expressing the impossibility for man to save himself. So, he says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And when his disciples, verse 25, when his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished. Who then can be saved? This guy's got money, possessions, youth. He's it's everything. And he's kept the law. And even his money couldn't buy his way in. Jesus said, get rid of it all. They were astonished who then can be saved? Because they were seeing, they were understanding what Jesus was saying was impossible. Because Jesus was meaning literally in his hyperbole, if you will, uh, a needle, not, not a door. Now, Jesus says to them, here it is. So these two verses, verse 25 and 26, to me, is if we keep this phrase, camel through the eye of a needle, if we keep this phrase in the flow of the context, I think we clearly see that he's, he's not referring to this small door and large gate. That's not what he's referring to. He, this is a, a, a hyperbolic statement. This is hyper, hyperbole uh, to an extreme. 
representing an absolute impossibility. But Jesus, but Jesus says then, he doesn't leave them hanging. Verse 26, but Jesus looked at them and said to them, with men, this is impossible. With men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So, to focus in this passage or to lift this camel and eye the needle out of the passage to try to make a point that really isn't there misses the entire point of the passage. The point of the passage is the gospel. The main character is Jesus. The supporting role is the rich young ruler. Uh, the, 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 the other cast members are the disciples. But the main character is Jesus. And the main point, it's the gospel. And before Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 was ever written, Jesus is demonstrating it, illustrating it here in this statement. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of works. None of the works that that rich young ruler did accomplished anything in light of salvation. And that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. That's, this, this passage is illustrating that. So let me share just a couple things in, in conclusion. First of all, um, the rich young ruler had everything that the world says, oh, this is what you have to have to make it ahead, get ahead in life. You, he, young man, wealth, power, he had money, he had possessions, all these possessions, he had great possessions. He had it all. He had everything in that day that the world says you need to have not only in that day but this day. But there was still an emptiness in him. And oh, how many people there are like that today, trying to fill the emptiness and the voids in their lives with great possessions and wealth and, and just living the wildlife and pleasure. And none of that ultimately satisfies. So um, he did all the works. He did all, he said, I've done all these things. And you know, it's interesting. Jesus didn't say, great, you've done all of these things. All you need to do is add me. If you add me to all of these things, you've got it. Nope. Jesus says, all of these things you need to set aside and you need to come yourself. Follow me. So uh, it's an illustration of the gospel. It's open to all. Whosoever will. No, it's an illustration of no man can serve two masters at the same time. You can't have a divided heart when it comes to loving God, serving God, surrendering to God. Uh, it's an illustration that works cannot save because he did all he did the works it's uh it, it it emphasizes the importance of complete and utter surrender giving everything over to him and it's also an illustration salvation is completely a miraculous work of god because there's no way for a camel to get through the avenue when man looks at it. that's why the disciples said this is impossible it can't, it can't be done who can be saved who can be saved? The one who comes to Jesus with nothing, but comes to him for everything. Now, this is the first of a series that we're going to be taking a look at some misunderstandings, uh, misuses. Uh, I, I hesitate a little bit in using the word myths and Bible together because uh, there could be a, a huge misunderstanding in that. But misunderstandings that are are in the that are assumed about certain Bible passages. And if you have any of those that you've heard before and you'd like me to dig into them and and uh, 
uh, examine them and, and find out what the truth is in, re- in relationship to them and in Scripture. Uh, send them in to me, and I'll take a look at them. So Jesus wasn't referring to a, I don't believe he was referring to a little door in a large gate. And another, another thing, there, as far as the archaeological evidence that is not there, I mean, there, there, there isn't any, there's n- virtually no literature evidence of this prior to, I think it's around 900 to 1100. I think uh, Thomas Aquinas is quoting Anselm, who had written something about this. Um, but there's, there's this just a huge lack of any evidence to support that Jesus was referring to a man door in a large gate. That's not what it was. And it misses the point of the passage uh, completely. Jesus was referring to the gospel and the necessity that we need to come with nothing, no, no offering, no works, not trying to work our way in or buy our way in, but by grace, through faith, we are born again. Thank you for joining me in this episode of Rightly Dividing with Ron Anderson. I appreciate you watching and viewing. Make sure to like, share, subscribe, uh, share this this um, page of this YouTube channel and with your friends on all of the media outlets and resources that you use. I appreciate that very much. You can also contact me at rightlydividingtheword215 at gmail.com as well as using the comments section below. Look forward to seeing you again. Take care and God bless.